some guy from getting. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Jacob. I know most of you guys probably don't. Just kidding. But uh, if you guys know Eric and Carol, then that's my personality. It's great. So I'm kind of bummed out the youth don't get to stay in here because I'm a youth pastor, so most of my teachings are going to be like youthful, right? You would hope so. Um, I am feeling kind of old lately, and I've been going through like a lot of... You Actually, you probably see my name on your guys' prayer chain if you guys do that. I've uh, just been going through like a lot of pain and uh, I guess what you'd call suffering. And just for a quick little testimony, in my heart lately, I've been wanting to just present to God this question, Why? And every time we see that in the Bible, it usually doesn't turn out very well, but I do it anyway. And I've been asking God, like, why, why do you allow the suffering? Why do you allow these things to happen to, to your children, to the people you love? Right? I would like to listen to, like, prosperity gospel and want to be able to name it and claim it. And we might do that a little bit tonight, but probably not in the way you expect. Uh, and I'd like to be able to do those things, but when I really dive into the Word and see what God presents to us, I get to like Romans 8.17. If we do not suffer like Him, we will not be glorified. If we don't share in His sufferings, how can we share in His glory? And it really made me dive into this, this search on the healing power of God. Right? I mean, I, I want to be able to go up and touch his cloak and be healed. <laughs> but what's cool is, if, if I'm a Hebrew, which I'm not, but if I were to somehow be able to think like them, uh, words probably won't emphasize as much as pictures will for me. So there's a lot of pictures in the Bible of what God really wants us to achieve, really wants us to be able to claim in him, Right? And hopefully, I'm sure you guys know this far better than me, so this message is definitely for me, but I just want to be able to clear up some things that God has been showing me. So hopefully we have time to go through the entire Bible tonight. You guys don't mind, right? I'm not sure when this gets over, but we'll see. So, God, we just present this to you. We do have those questions, why, God? And we just pray you reveal a little bit more to us tonight of your glory, God, your wisdom, what you're doing, the bigger picture that you have in your word. God, we just want to see that tonight and nothing less. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited. Not really. I'm actually kind of nervous because uh, when I have to come to teach in front of a bunch of people, I'm like, I need like weeks and weeks of study, but they told me this weekend that I was going to be teaching, and now I feel like unprepared. Which is actually a good place to be, right? Because then we get to rely on the Holy Spirit. But tonight I want to look at the word redemption. I believe there's more healing power in the word redemption than there is in healing itself. Like it would be great if I could be healed from diabetes and heart murmurs and pain and suffering. Right? It would be great if we could present cancer before God and just say, here, take it all away. But is that truly what's going to save our souls? You know, the, the healing power I think I've received through the redemption of God uh, should just drive me forward to want even more of it. So hopefully if we're hanging on to anything tonight, we can 
that we can lay it down to God and just say, redeem this. <laughs> redeem it. Right? Because the second He redeems my soul, there's a long process of sanctification where He's got to redeem a lot more things in me than I was really intending. Um, Peter, I like what Peter has to tell us. It, in 1 Peter 1.18-19, through 19, Knowing that you were redeemed, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers. But you, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Redeemed, right? So we have the price paid for our redemption is Christ's blood. Everyone knows it. Well, anyone who's ever read the Bible or ever present, been presented with the gospel probably knows that the blood of Christ is the only thing that can redeem our souls. So I want to kind of look at the Old Testament. Because if you really do a word study on the word redemption in the Old Testament, I think to, to actually be bought back from your like corruptible state might be used once in the Old Testament. But there's tons of pictures of it. right? What's the first instance of redemption in the Bible? Well, it's the first time man falls and sins. Here, Adam and Eve, they're eating the fruit and... Um, and in their shame, they want to hide from God. And he's like, where are you, Adam? You know what I like about that story is God still shows up. Because he's always going to do that. Anytime that I ever have a problem, anytime that I have something that needs redeemed, God's always going to show up no matter how much I try to hide it. If I want to be washed in the Word, I can't be washed in dirty water. Has everyone here been to Blue Heart? We really don't know it, right? Uh, so the rest of the river, can you see the bottom? No, I, I, I can't go out into the river and just see the bottom of the river. But when I go to Blue Heart, I can. That's the kind of water I want to be washed in. Something that covers everything, but nothing's hidden. Right? When we wash in that water of the Word, so as the Word of God comes to you, Hey, Jacob, come here. Why are you hiding? Well, I've sinned. I got this, this problem. God, and what's He do? He sheds the blood of an animal to cover their sins. But the problem was that they didn't really have an internal atonement. So they had to be exiled from the garden. Exile is kind of a big thing in the Bible, right? It seems to happen to the children of Israel a lot. Continuously taken captive by something. The people of God continuously being taken captive by something. Right? I mean, Jesus would present it like this. Um, Anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's John 8. Right? I, I, well, okay, I got a problem, God. Right, so God's attempt to kind of show us that bigger picture, He's going to choose a people, which actually I think a lot of people here are there in Israel right now, right? He's going to choose these Israelites, which I hear, I've never really met too many of them, but I hear they're pretty stubborn people, very hard-headed, right? like the epitome of a sheep. <laughs> and God's just going to choose these wicked people to show His love and generosity and long-suffering and His judgment. And so he calls Abraham out, right? Abraham, through a long process, has a family of like 70 people. And that's over quite a few years, and you're like, that's not a very big nation, right? God's going to promise you a big nation. Well, as a family, they, uh, to seek refuge, went to Egypt, right? There's a famine. They were going to go there, have some food, and come back, but they never went back. 
because it was like prosperity there. But the new Pharaoh arises, and after about 400 years, uh, they don't really like the children of Israel. They've grown into about a nation of what, like 2 million people? And they're, 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 they're having prosperity in God, and it's giving him fear. So what's he do? Again, in exile, he takes him captive. He takes him captive. Well, what's God do? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver you guys. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you back from this slavery, and you will be my people. Don't worry. In fact, I got this cool guy. His name's Moses. He's going to come and do it after he says no a few times. So, Moses comes, and, and he does God's will, right? And through a lot of different unfortunate events for the, the, or the Egyptians, um, the people are redeemed. And what's funny is that the picture of that redemption came through the shedding of millions, well, probably hundreds of thousands of sheep, right? Shedding of the blood of the Lamb was the redemption. And the death of the firstborn son. Well, it's the picture. You want to be free from what's making you captive? There's only one thing you can rely on. So, Israel... Redeemed again, do a lot of foolish things, um, and over the course of about a thousand years, become captive again. Right? And there's a lot of stuff that happens. There's many books you can read in the Bible. I'm sure we've all been through them. But they become captive again for 70 years. Well, what's the hope now? <laughs> what's the final hope God's going to give us? Kind of the last picture we get to see... Um, Besides the rebuilding of the temple, in the Old Testament, it doesn't actually come in the last book of the Bible, but it's in Second Chronicles. And we see the king being lifted up again. The king of Israel being raised to his rightful spot. And that's kind of the picture for us. Right? We had a problem. We had a, an atonement. But it really isn't really good enough to deliver us from this sin. So we needed a bigger sacrifice, right? And by the end, we see the king high and lifted up. So, that's the picture in the Old Testament, the very small one of everything there is. That's a picture of redemption, right? This process. No matter what we do on our own, there's never going to be enough to, to set us free from captivity, it seems like. But knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the things I want to focus on tonight is just kind of that, that healing power of redemption. Because... God never wanted Israel to forget how he delivered them. In fact, in Exodus 19.4, you're going to see, he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, there's no word redemption in there, right? But how are they being redeemed? This is our first instance in the Bible, and if you're, you're into like that... Uh, Theological stuff, Bible college stuff, right? If you if you like that kind of stuff, it's uh, the 
like the theology of first mention, I believe is what it's called, something like that. And the first time something's mentioned is kind of the big picture that we're going to see every other time it's mentioned in the Bible. So we're going to do a couple on this picture of God bearing them on, his, on eagles' wings. Right? The picture for Israel was, hey, look what I've done. Remember back to, to the death of the firstborn son. Remember back to that shedding of the blood of the lamb. And it caused you to, to be bore out or brought out on eagles' wings. And then when we kind of wrap up the Old Testament in Malachi, he's going to say the same thing. From the beginning to the end, this is the picture he wants us to see. Malachi 4.2 But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. But there will be healing in his wings. Right? What's that healing? Is that healing for us something that is just physical? You know, what's funny is every time I ever look up, uh, I just have to type in like redemption sermons on YouTube, and I will get mostly, or even like healing sermons on YouTube, I'll get mostly prosperity gospel preachers talking about it. Hey, you want to be redeemed? You want to be healed? You just got to name it and claim it, right? Which I think there's a truth to, but... Not so much than, I guess, the way they present it. So, to kind of get deep into that word on wing, the, the Hebrew word is kanaf. Kanaf. So throughout, like the next few hundred years, the, the rabbis, they would start to call, um, they would all wear the prayer shawls, right? And what they would call the corner of their prayer shawls is the kanaf, because they'd hang tassels from them. And these tassels, they would say, are the commandments of God. So the, the rabbis would say, these commandments that were brought to us for the healing of nations. That's an interesting case, right? Like the commandments of God were brought to you for the healing of nations? Well, yeah, if you kind of, uh, if you really look at what God's commanded us to do, I mean, the two greatest commandments are to love people. There's probably more healing in the love of God than there is anything else. <laughs> Right? There's probably more healing when you go out and love someone who needs it than anything else. So I could totally see where they're coming from, right? So they begin to call the corner of their prayer shawls the knaf. Well, so as that, as that truth is there for the rabbis, as Jesus' time comes around, a new rabbi comes to earth, right? And he's walking around one day. And uh, he's got a, a great crowd falling behind. And this is where we're kind of entering into Mark chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 25. And it says, Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Like, I totally relate to this. Um, I'm like, I'm on the last kind of attempt to, to help myself, and it's the acupuncture doctor. So I've been to like everything else but the acupuncture doctor now, which honestly, it's helping a little bit, so it's kind of cool, but I totally get it. Like, I've been to every physician. I have huge medical bills, and I'm wondering, is there ever going to be relief from this? Right? I get where this lady's at. 
There's people with far worse medical bills than I have. But it says, when she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now, that's an interesting story, right? I I get it. There's like a lot of power coming out of Jesus, (laughs) most of the time probably. But a lot of people are touching him at this moment. In fact, when he asks, who touched me? The disciples are like, are you crazy? (laughs) Everyone's touching you. So what's the difference? What's the difference? I'll even read it right here. It says, but... Um, and Jesus, Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude throng around you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. I'm wondering if this is like the only woman who probably gets it in Israel at this moment. Right, because it says clothes, but there's got to be more to it, right? Um, the word is actually in Greek, but it, it's synonymous with the same word kanaf from the Old Testament of wings. She went to touch the corner of his parasols, the, the edge of his garment. I'm wondering if she knew that promise from Malachi. The son of righteousness will arise, and there will be healing in his wings. Man, if I, I know it, can I go touch God's prayer shawl? That'd be great, right? But I think there's more to it. It's kind of cool. I think there's some theological words in there. The fact that Jesus turned around. It says it, um, And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? A woman seeking your glory, right? Now, I, I kind of like to look at um, like some what-ifs. You know, hey, what would happen if God or Jesus would have turned around on Mount Sinai when Moses asked him to? <laughs> and wanted to see more than just like the passing backside of, of Jesus' garments. That's interesting, right? It's interesting. How do you see the face of God? How do you see the face of God? Now, if you didn't know, it's probably a good time to bring up that this woman's a lawbreaker. She's a sinning at the moment. Um, according to Israel law and customs, if you have a flow of blood, it is you are unclean and cannot be around people, especially rabbis. <laughs> That's the worst. You're going to die. You're going to get stoned if you're around a rabbi. Right. In fact, if you sit somewhere, that chair is now unclean. If someone sits in that chair that you sat on, they're unclean. If someone lays in the bed that you laid in, they're unclean. It's kind of a big deal, right? So when Jesus turns around and he says, who was it? <laughs> well, it's rightful for, it says, um, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down, before him and told him 
the whole truth. It's right for her to be afraid, right? <laughs> but here's the rest of the picture kind of coming together. Because if you remember back in Malachi, it says, But to those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise, and there will be healing in his wings. So she comes before God, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, thinking, He's probably going to take me according to the law. He's probably going to take me in my sin and, and judge me. Is anyone else afraid of that when they commit like a big sin? Yeah. That's my biggest fear. When I grew up in a, and I did something really bad, you know, my mom's like, wait till your dad gets home. How afraid was I? Yeah. That's my dad if you guys didn't know. He can testify. That's everyone when it comes to God. <laughs> right? For about three or four days, I'm like, I'm not going to look at you, God. I'm sorry I did that, but I'm just not going to look at you until I'm okay with myself. And until I feel okay, and I'm like, oh, we're cool now, right? And that's usually how it goes for me. But that's not what we're supposed to do. Right? We need to come before God in fear and trembling and tell Him the whole truth. Because there won't be healing without it. So that's kind of like that first picture of healing that I want to see because um, I'm assuming we're all Christians, right? We're all past the point of salvation. So, one of the things I've realized, at least in my life, is if I don't come to God with that whole truth, I'll probably never find full, true healing. It's a problem. Right? If I want to be washed in dirty water and I want to have some of those sins hidden, <laughs> hey God, wash me clean, but you know, don't look at this part. Where's the healing? Where's the redemption from it? How am I supposed to put that at God's feet and say, well, wash it clean? And no matter how ashamed and miserable I feel at that time, I can bring it before Him, tell Him, and this is what He'll say, hopefully different words at the first part, but it says, And He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. For some of us, it's son, not daughter, but we get the picture, right? When I come before God and He says, Son, she probably has been called daughter in a long time. I mean, she hasn't really, really been able to go out of her house for 12 years. You know, there's nothing to fear so much as, like, I fear the shame that's going to come from God because it never happens. It never happens. I can come, I can tell them the whole truth, say, God, here's all my, my problems, here's my afflictions. Can you heal me? Because I deal with anger, I deal with pride, I deal with anything under the sun. Some of the things I don't want to tell you guys, right? Like, I mean, I deal with, uh, with it all. There's nothing that's ever like, come against man as a temptation that I probably never thought of. I'm just assuming, but... But I don't have to be afraid to bring that to God. Like, God, I'm angry. What am I going to do? Because remember what happened last time I was angry? <laughs> remember how I reacted last time I was angry, God? And then I really tried not to and I still did it? Like, I can't do it myself. But your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your afflictions. Knowing that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold 
from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. God showed her grace. Right? Before he even died, showed her grace. I didn't write this down, but another cool part about the story is literally like immediately after this, we're going to see that this, this guy comes up and uh, you see Jesus was already on his way somewhere. He was going to go heal a girl. Well, he's supposed to, but she actually is going to die. He's going to raise her back to life. Do you know how old she was? She was 12 years old. A woman with a 12-year-old flow of blood. Now, 12 is like the divine government kind of picture for us, right? As if Jesus is coming and saying, look, these people, are, they're dead. They're, they're dead in their sins. They're dead in their afflictions. They're dead in life. But I've come to bring a new government. A government that, that shows love and grace and will raise them up. Because too often for me, instead of claiming that redemption and getting up, I just stay down. I just stay down. It's a problem, right? What am I going to do on the ground? Absolutely nothing except like probably wallow in my own pity, but the Bible is going to tell us a righteous man will fall seven times a day, but he'll get back up. How? How am I going to get back up? It's the blood of Christ. So I want to go into a different picture. Kind of take it a different way, right? We kind of got that picture of God redeeming us from our sins, from our afflictions, from things that, that seem uncontrollable to us. I like that. <laughs> I like that about God. He's cool. But what happens when, when there's things that I seem to enjoy? <laughs> there's things that I like. There's things that, that I don't even really want to get rid of. But it's going to bring me to the dust. It's going to pull me down. It's going to drag me down. And I'm going to be caught up in my, my foolishness. Well, there's always two sides to it. It's going to be almost the same as the last story. It says, Then, this is John 8, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in, the, in his midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. And what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued eating, asking him, uh, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman, standing in the midst, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. 
And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So, the scribes bring this woman before God, and they know exactly what they're talking about. That's usually the problem. You know, when my accuser comes before God, he's got a lot to say. He's got a lot to say, like, hey, remember what Jacob was thinking? Hey, remember what Jacob did? And it, sometimes it don't even matter how long ago it was. Like, time, don't, time doesn't matter to them, right? Hey, Jacob, remember all those things you've done in your life? Yeah, I remember. Right? They like to bring me and say, look, this is what the law says. Anyone who falls short of the glory of God is deserving of death. Do I deserve Jesus Christ? Do I deserve all these things? Absolutely not. Right? Look, it says, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? You know, Jesus is your advocate. This is the total opposite of an accuser. So what do we expect from God? Probably the same thing that he's doing right here with this woman. As my accusers come before him, Jesus is silent. Well, that doesn't really seem like the, the attitude of an advocate, right? Shouldn't he be defending me? Shouldn't he be defending me? Well, that might be the case. You might need to defend me, but when I stand before the true judge... He is my defense. Right? There are no words that need to be spoken. So it kind of shows me that when I, when I am advocating for someone, maybe I should probably be silent too. Right? But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is out sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. You know, <clears throat> there's probably a couple things that we can find healing and redemption from in this story. The first one is probably for all these people that are standing there with stones in their hand. <laughs> like, that's, that's me a lot of the time, I get that. Especially being a youth pastor... Man, there's a lot of stones I want to throw sometimes. <laughs> no offense. <coughs> Some these kids over here, I get it. Um, mostly because I see myself and you guys, I'm like, don't do the stupid things I did. But, you know, as in, as a church, I think there's been enough times with the church having stones in their hand rather than being on the ground with those who've sinned being broken with the people who are broken. <clears throat> There's enough times of the church, that people asking the church, like, why are you guys so judgmental? <laughs> Man, why does the church come to judge me first? That's a great question. There's probably some redeeming that needs to be done with the church, right? What we need to do is we need to take on the attitude of Jesus, the Advocate. Because the next time I'm in the dust and I'm in the dirt, the last thing I want is someone to come and cast a stone at me. We've got to remember that, right? Because look what's going to happen when Jesus is there. 
This, this could happen when the church is advocating for people. It says, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Man, before the accuser's even gone, she's already standing. Why? Well, I think that's how powerful this this example that Jesus has shown us can be. He's already standing in the midst. And Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And this is the interesting part. He says, Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. How am I ever going to get to a point where I can be free from sin? Well, i got to know the law, frontwards and back, right? Well, if you're anything like Paul, um, he's going to tell us in, in, the, in Romans chapter 7, like the things that I will to do, the things that I know are right to do, for some reason I can't do them. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Well, that's kind of a problem, right? I'm kind of caught in this, this captivity to this, this flesh, this body of death. That's a problem. What do I do when when 99.9% of me wants to sin? The only 0.1% is just like, seems to be a a tiny little grain of a mustard seed of faith. (laughs) That's all I have really kind of inside of me fighting for me. The rest of me just wants to do whatever it wants to do. Anybody else have that problem? Yeah. It's human nature, right? That's sin nature. That's literally sin being birthed inside of me. From a seed. Right? Like, it, it seems unfair, but if... Um, you know, if I was to plant an apple seed, it's natural that an apple tree grows from it, right? So when Adam planted a seed of sin inside mankind, it's natural that sin will arise. So what do we need? We know that little seed of faith, that little seed of grace, that seed of love and righteousness that God begins to plant water inside of us to grow. Because once He does that, it will only be natural that righteousness is going to be the fruit. Right? So why can't we share in Christ's righteousness? We can. That's why when He shows us grace, when He gets down in the, in the dirt with us, and He shows us grace, and we see it, we can go and sin no more. Right? I, need, I want that redemption. <laughs> but i got to be able to see it. First Peter, we read First Peter 1, 18 and 19, right? I'll read it again just because it's kind of the key verse. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He goes on in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 24, it says, For this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was the seed found in His mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, 
he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. You know, it was said in ancient times that kings had like the, the power to heal people. Because of their might. They're so mighty that they have the power to heal people. Man, doesn't that sound like my king? I want my king to come with a mighty hand and outstretched arm and save me and heal me. God, I got so much to be redeemed from. Why don't you just, like, just do it? <laughs> Probably because then I wouldn't have the choice. See, my king came and he healed me in his weakness. Humbled to like the lowest of lows. Gave up heaven to be the servant of all. So that I could know that for every nail that went through his body. He did it with joy. That the crown that pierced his head. Was for my peace. That the mockings and spittings and the shame that he took upon himself was for my shame. So I knew that the stripes that covered his back as it bore a splintered cross was for my healing. And my king does it a lot different. Our kings today don't even have power or might to heal people, but my king does it a lot different. In his weakness, in his getting down low, in his stooping down to the dust, he's going to come as low and even lower still just to find me. Even if I made my bed in hell. Didn't David say that? You would be there. To call me out. To say, hey look, there's healing. Literally by his stripes, we are healed. Well, what did his stripes bring? Brought out blood. <laughs> what was the blood? It was for the forgiveness of my sins. So what's true healing to God? What is that true redemption to God? Rather than me just being healed from my afflictions as a human being. Maybe not my sufferings. Maybe not my illnesses. Right? My afflictions. You know what's, you know what's better than uh, being healed from diabetes? Is standing under the weight being given an endurance to take it and not say, curse you, God, but rather, blessed be the name of the Lord, and then receiving a gift for that. Right? But how am I ever going to find that endurance? It's got to be through Christ and His blood. You know, there's a lot of ways that a Christian, there's, there's so many ways that a Christian can, can find themselves in bonds. So many ways that a Christian can become uh, captive to something. That we can find ourselves in the dust. At least for myself, there's a lot of things that I can fall into. Like legalism. We didn't go over that one yet, right? Legalism. Trying to set up my own law. <laughs> Either to make myself righteous or to bring someone low. How about works? Right? I want to work my way to salvation, or I want to uh, do my own works in the church, even, instead of just doing them out of love for God. 
trying to control my future. You know, nothing gives me worse anxiety than trying to control my future. But I still don't learn sometimes. <laughs> Just to control and worry about my future. Like, these are things that I need redeemed. Worrying about what other people think of me. Especially when I'm up on stage. Like, I know I'm looking at all you guys, but I barely see you. <laughs> Sorry, no offense. I'm just like, it's nerve-wracking. And, but when you're up here, it's like, is everyone looking at me? What are people going to think of me? I need to get that out of my mind, right? Um, we can put pressure on ourselves to be something that we're not. Yeah, a lot of times I find myself, you know, I'm like, God, I know you've gifted me with these things, and they were really cool at first, but now it's just kind of like become burdensome in a job. I need that taken away. So we can we can start something in the spirit and try to finish it in the flesh, just like the Galatian church. I think there's a lot of so many things in the Bible that I can that I can just see myself in, but we can arise. We have to get free from that, right? We have to we have to take these things and just present them before God. Because without silver and gold, I can still be redeemed. You know, it was impossible for a slave basically to to, to especially to redeem himself, but almost to be redeemed in general. Because they're a slave because they have debt, right? Well a slave doesn't make any money. How's he ever going to pay for himself to get out of slavery? He can't. Then what kind soul is going to come and pay his debt for him? Not many. At best, at best, he might be bought from that master and then just have another master. Hopefully a little bit better than the last one. But maybe not. But maybe not. But we can be redeemed without money. There's no reason for a, a believer to be in the dust and, and to be in bonds when we've been redeemed. And I mean from anything, right? Like, I, I don't know. I've been a Christian for a little while. If you know me in my past, you probably wouldn't think so. But I've been a Christian for a little while. And I can see every day that there is something new that I have to bring before God to be, for Him to redeem. It, it might not be the case, like, after 40 years of being a Christian. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I haven't been a Christian that long. But if you're in that space, then you understand where I'm coming from, right? Um, that there's no reason for us to be captive. God has put on strength. He rose from the dead. And He shows it through the cross of Christ. Even in His weakest moment. He had the power to redeem us. He's overcome the enemy. He has made a way and given strength by the Holy Spirit. He's prepared garments of holiness and righteousness. And He has purchased our peace and parted the Red Sea. So why would we not want to take advantage of that? This is that name and claim it spot, right? Name it and claim it. You got to. Jesus, I know what you've done for me, and I want that. And it might not be exactly what I picture all the time, but that's what I want. Therefore, he 
is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's Hebrews 7.25. It's God's will for us to live in victory, for his people to have freedom. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. John 8.36 Romans 8.2 For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know, the, that picture of redemption and healing in redemption for us should be nothing less than that. A victorious life in Christ. Maybe not so prosperous as we would have thought. I don't have to be a millionaire. I don't have to be healed. What's God doing in me? I'm convinced that the things, the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, I was uh, reading a commentary on Philippians 1 about, if you don't know the background of Philippians 1, it's Paul's in prison again. And all he can talk about is the joy of the gospel going out. Like, how do you find joy in prison? And the commentator said, um, God searches to and fro for specific people, special people that we can put suffering on. Ones you know that can take it and still give Him glory. Because it takes a lot. I, I, I'll tell you, I'm the first one to want to complain about it. I am. I, I'm, I'm not so much like Job is rather than like Job's wife. I don't know how all these stories have involved women, but you know, it, it's it would be so much easier for me to just give in and say, you know, God, I I don't like this anymore. I thought you were better than that. Uh, I thought like everything was to be hunky dory, and I just go on living my life, <laughs> saved. But I want it good. I still want that. I want it good. But if we want to be victorious, we got to look to Christ in faith. It's all Him. Our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. It's all Him. And again, it's not exactly like I would, or not exactly like I'd like to see it, but it says, um, to wrap up, I want to look at one last thing. And it's a prophet. We all know Habakkuk. We're going to take it back to the Old Testament real quick. Because Habakkuk asked a really good question. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you violence. And you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contentions arise. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Look among the nations and watch. 
It's a great question, right? <laughs> How long, O Lord? But God's response, He says, Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. That's Habakkuk 1, 2 through 5. And this is not the response that Habakkuk desired. It wasn't. I mean, it sounds like a really good thing, right? Um, so, of course, he questions God again. That just brings us back to that point, right? What's causing us to question God? I love Habakkuk's attitude, though. You know, anytime I come to question God, I should probably expect the same thing. In Habakkuk 2.1, he says, I will stand by my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Because <laughs> that's usually what happens, right? I have to be corrected after I ask these questions. So Habakkuk knew that the solution to all his confusion, all his questions, all his problems, he just had to wait on God for an answer. Behold the proud, his soul is upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. And, you know, I, I've given a lot of, like, my own suffering. I don't know the, the amount of suffering and anguish a lot of people in here are going through, but um, if you're anything like me, I know our best resources to bring into God. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Anybody ever been deep sea fishing? couple of us, yeah. I've been once. And uh, there's something you notice after you, you get so far out that uh, you can't see land anymore. There's only water. Is that surprising? Water is covering everything. And as that, just as that <laughs> is, so the glory of God will cover the earth. You mean to well, that's all we can see? Yeah. Is that the work he's working in our day? Yeah. I don't know how, like, I see crazy things about how people know about or are hearing about God these days. Anybody know Kanye West? Like, he says he's saved. And he said that, like, a long time ago, I guess. But, like, when you actually see him, like, repentance in his life, is that different? Yeah. How many Muslims I hear... Uh, just having dreams and being converted. Like, that's just, the, that's just like the tip of the iceberg of how God's glory is being revealed. So it, it should remind us, like, look, Habakkuk's got all these questions. God doesn't really give him the answer he wants. He just says, look, I'm going to be working this work in your day, and it's going to be just show my glory. Even through my suffering? What work are you working in me right now, God, that, that, that's to show your glory? And just reminds me to rejoice in God's glory in the current circumstances that we're facing. Habakkuk's waiting on God transform his worrying to worship. Habakkuk's waiting on God transform his worrying into worship. Habakkuk three seventeen through nineteen. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fall. 
and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Like literally, if we have nothing, <laughs> I will rejoice in the Lord. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on high hills. By Habakkuk waiting on God, it transformed his worrying to worship. He could now see the glory of God. Because though I have nothing, I lack nothing. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter what uh, we're suffering, if we rejoice in the Lord and worship Him, then... I think it will reveal that the truest expression of our trust in God will always be our worship for Him. There's a lot of redemption needed, I think, in, at least in my life. There's a lot of steps I need to take because I want to get to that point where um, I'm no longer on my face in the dust, but I'm on my face at the feet of Jesus Christ, worshiping Him, no matter what the circumstances are, because I've been redeemed. Because I know the power of Christ. Because I know that, yeah, I've, I've committed sin and I was a slave to sin, but John 8, 34-36, Jesus answers him and said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If the son makes you free, you shall be free Indeed, and what more is there to say than that? Has Jesus made us free today? Do we have to sit in like some crippling bondage of like, oh man, uh, I feel like I have to go to church and just work now. No, we can give that up. God, I'm afraid of this anger. It's all right. <laughs> just got to give it up. It's a hard thing to do sometimes, I get it. Dear Lord God, we just want to offer up everything that's on our heart, God, that's just weighing us down, that's making us in bondage, God, that's making us slaves because we feel like we can't even come before you sometimes. Man, I'm supposed to be a strong Christian, but God, I fail. I'm supposed to know you, God, but I don't know if I just forget or what it is. I just seem to be before you lost God take our hearts and transform them God take our take our minds and renew them God to to just trust in you to have a faith in you to be lifted up uh, God from the dust and from our, our, our condemnation and sin God just look to you with your hands out <laughs> saying son daughter it's okay God, we just say, whatever it is on, this, on anyone's heart today, God, I pray that they give it up to you right now. God, that they'll just confess it before you. Whatever is weighing them down, God, wherever the bondage is, just give it to you right now. And we just pray that this last song of worship just takes all our worries away. We pray this all in Jesus' name.
reeling until you have it all. My heart is yours.